0: Ecclesiastes chapter 7 tonight is is where we're going to be. And as you're turning there, uh, the book starts to take a little bit of a shift. Uh, We've covered chapter 1 to to 6, really, each and every night thus far. And we've covered a whole chapter tonight for the most part, except for a few verses. We'll cover everything. But Solomon shifts his advice from... from giving, he would give stories, he would give examples, to now he transitions to giving a proverb. And really some short nuggets or riddles or some phrases uh, of advice that he is giving uh, to to, to the reader or to his son. And really chapter 7 is written like the book of Proverbs. And as I was reading chapter 7, if you can put yourself uh, in, in a seat where either you, yourself, or actually all of us, let's, let's go this route. Um, put yourself in the seat when you are having a conversation with your grandpa. And I know for some of you, that was a long, long time ago. But imagine you are having that conversation. Um, and you are maybe sitting down with a cup of coffee, right? I have uh, one grandpa who is still alive, one who is not. Never had the opportunity to meet him But I've heard stories, and I imagine what it would be like if we got to sit down. If he sat down, I don't know. But I'm sure he would have his black coffee, maybe a cigar. Don't judge him too hard. He might use some choice words to get some things across to me, right? And uh, he actually accepted Christ six months before he died is the story. And if he were to sit down with me and give me some, some advice or some nuggets or some things that he wanted to say before he died... I imagine that these are the types of things that he would say. Or some of the types of things maybe your grandpa would say to you. And really when they, they start, he starts to say these things and to give advice, I, I've titled tonight or really walking through it is Solomon's Questions for Us or Questions for Us. Because when someone asks you a question, there is something that they're trying to get behind it. There's something that they're trying to accomplish with the question. All of you can remember, or maybe you're in it now, when your little, you know, toddler, son or daughter, they start to ask the question what? Why? Why are we going here, Dad? Because we have to. Why? Because we're told to go there. I don't want, why? 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 And often, how is, how is our conversation to God sometimes? We'll say, why? Why? Or why should we do this? And a lot of times... You will ask a question, or I will ask a question, not to get the answer, but to prove my point, right? Jesus would handle and field questions, and a lot of times it was from people who weren't trying to learn anything. Has anyone ever asked you a question not because they wanted to learn something? And you didn't know until you started to talk, because why? They cut you off. So they would ask you a question maybe at work or maybe in a family situation, and before you could finish, they would cut you off and then start to to state what they thought the answer was. That's not asking a legitimate question. And some of these Proverbs are phrased as a question, and some of them are just statements. But the way that I have at least thought through tonight is six, I believe, questions that Solomon would be having for you or having for me. The wisest man who ever lived, if you've missed some of this study or it's your first time here, Uh, he had more wealth than all of us combined. He had more ladies than than all of us combined. We'll look at that at the end tonight. And and he gets to the end, and he's got some deathbed things to say. And whether uh, that is very far for some of us or whether that is right around the corner for some of us, we do not know. What we know is that today, tomorrow, I am responsible with the life that God has given me moving forward, wherever I'm at. And I believe Solomon is addressing some of these questions or phrases that really, uh, I believe, are extremely practical. I cannot believe how practical he gets for you and I. So the first point tonight in chapter 7, verse 1 is, what will they say? What will they say? Chapter 7, verse 1. Verse 1, if you're new at this, the big number is the chapter, the little number is the verse. He says this, a good name is better than precious ointment. Let's stop and talk about that. A good name is better than precious ointment or something that smells good. And if something smells good or aroma, right, when your senses or my senses smell something, it tells me something. Like if I smell barbecue... It draws me, right? If I smell B.O. in the middle school room, in the middle school ministry with Axe that the cologne the kids spray on, they haven't showered in weeks, it draws me away. But he says a good name is better than precious ointment. And this is what he says, and he's making the connection here. And the day of death than the day of birth. That does not make a lick of sense to me. The day of death better than the day of birth. Now, I'll be honest. Lord willing, um, I will make it to some of you in this room your funeral. Lord willing. I'll get to to come. Maybe I'll walk down. We'll see family. We'll shake hands. We'll, We'll talk. We'll have conversations. And what Solomon is saying is that the day of your birth, or when I was there for my daughter's birth, that your funeral or her funeral is better than the day of death. Or day of death is better. Why on earth would that be? Because you're going to Jesus. Hopefully. Hopefully. But what will, here's, here's what he's saying. Reputation is more important. Or what will they say? Or your perfume of yourself is more important. Why is that? Proverbs one says this. A good name is is to be chosen rather than great riches. And favor is better than silver or gold. Why is the day of death better than the day of birth? Because it is about fulfillment. And the day of birth is about potential. That when our life starts, it is about potential. And when our life ends, it is about fulfillment. And reflecting. And when you go to a birthday party, what do you do? You eat cake, you eat ice cream, you celebrate, you take some pictures, you blow out some candles, and then you go home. When you go to a funeral, what do you do? You walk through, you give your condolences, and you reflect. That is why the day of death is better, because it causes me to reflect and to change, not just to walk away and do nothing. The day of death is better than the day of birth. A good name is to be chosen Rather than great riches or reputation. And here's here's what I want to pull out from this this phrase here. We only care what they think if they matter. So when I think about my reputation. There are certain people um, I want to care what they have to say. If I have a good name. If I have a good name and I don't have good riches. It is a fulfillment and a responsibility what God has done in my life and through my life. If My name or the smell of my name smells like manure. My name has bad ointment. And when people hear my name, they have a bad smell or bad taste in their mouth. He says a good name is better than great riches. That that is to be chosen more than the other. Now, who is the they? Why do I pull up, we only care what they think if they matter. There are some people in your life You do not care what they think. And you're vocal about it. It's people at work. It's that one neighbor. It's that person in this room. I don't care what they think when I die. I don't care what they have to say. Who are they? I don't care who they are. Who's the they in my life? The they (laughs) in my life, hopefully, I think Solomon would say, or the principal is teaching, is my family. Right? And I believe as well could be or should be the family of God? Who is they? Who is the the, they in your life who run your decision making? They decide what you are going to do. They decide what reputation you are going to have. What will they say? Chapter 7, verse 1, a good name is better than precious ointment. Is better. I've had to ask myself the question, God, what scent is my life producing? And when the, pe- the people I care about the most, when they think of my life or hear my name, what comes to their mind? And I don't care about what everyone thinks. I can't please everyone. I like you guys, but not that much. I don't care. If I, if I try to please everybody, I please who? Nobody. I have to decide what they say matters and who they are run my decision making. A good name. A good name is better than precious ointment. Even a scent that is lifted, that is pleasing. God, what does my life produce? And who are they that I'm trying to please in my life? Number two, the second question is, have I missed the best opportunities? Have I missed the best opportunities? He he keeps going on. He says this, it is better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting. Why would it be better, Solomon? I don't like to cry. I don't want to cry. It shows that I'm weak. I don't want to go to the house of feasting. It's not fun. I'd I'd rather go to the house of feasting. I like being full. I like eating. That's that's a hobby we all have. What's your hobby? Eat. (laughs) What do you do for fun? I eat. Good food. (laughs) He says it's better. Why would it be better? Verse. It goes on to say, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. If you underline in your Bible, I'm going to ask you, if, if you do that, just underline the word heart, because you're going to come back to that in your discussions tonight. Sorrow is better than laughter. Why? For by sadness the fate of face, the heart is made glad. Here it is again. The heart of the wise is the house of mourning. But the heart of fools is in the house of mirth or laughter. Why is he saying this? I believe he is saying this because a wise person is able to learn from the hardest opportunities. When we talked about chapter 3 and talked about seasons and how every season is beautiful in God's sight, but not everybody is in a good season, are we not? That sometimes you're in a season that God is trying to teach you something. And what Solomon is saying, a fool looks at their difficult season and sees nothing. A wise man says it was better that the hard times were better for me. Because the hard times made me who I am today. That I don't regret or resent The bad decisions I've made, I don't regret or resent the bad things that have happened in my life. Philippians chapter 3, forgetting what's behind and pressing forward towards what's ahead. Let me finish verses 5 and 6. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the songs of fools. Let me read it. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the songs of fools. Why is that? Because if I have foolish friends and I make a bad decision, what do they do? They do this. They praise it. The songs of fools. It is better to hear rebuke. We'll talk about this in a second. He's saying that when you hear rebuke from a wise man, a wise person... Heeds the instruction. We'll talk about criticism in a second. But it's easier to gravitate towards fools praising me because it's, it's easier. It's more enjoying it. I, I don't have to learn from anything. And then he says this. And this is where I think it, he just gets real practical. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of fools, and this also is vanity. So he brings up the crackling of thorns. I'm going to use this chair uh, to kind of illustrate this. Charlie, come up here real quick. Uh, just sit in this chair, just because you're so good looking, uh, and we'd like to look at you, and you pray for us. Go ahead and take a seat. This is Charlie. He's going to be our illustration tonight. So when, I just want you to sit here, get comfortable. When he talks about making the best of opportunities, and he brings up the crackling of thorns, I believe this principle he is bringing up, that God always wants to turn my lessons into wisdom. He wants to turn my regrets or my lessons into wisdom. And the crackling of thorns is like under a pot, and the songs of fools can hear a rebuke. And he is saying a foolish person. Now, I'm not going to do this, and I know some of you firefighters are going to lose your mind. I have gas in this can. Now, because Charlie and I are so close, and I just decided to dump, no, I'm not going to dump it. I decided to dump gas on Charlie, okay? And as I was doing that, I also decided that in the midst I'm going to light him on fire. So you guys are like, whoa, don't worry, Adam already knows, we talked, he's got the fire extinguisher, we're cool. No, we're not going to light him on fire, but this is what a fool does, this is what a fool does. A fool's life is up in flames, but they're doing great. A fool's life is on fire, the crackling of thorns, and when a fool is doing bad, their life is in shambles, they've made bad decisions. They tried to hear correction, hey man, how you doing? Great, but their life is on fire. A fool does not make the best of opportunities, and you maybe have experienced this in your own life or you'll see someone, their life is in shambles, but they don't have the awareness to hear or to see, and their life is on fire, but they're doing great. Charlie, you can take a seat, thank you man, that was awesome, I thought about lighting them on fire, but uh, that would've got weird pretty quick. Um, It says in Proverbs 6.27, and some of you remember this, we talked about it Sunday, and it's about sexual purity, but it says, can a man carry fire next to his chest and not be burned? The answer is no. That when you mess around with with, with a woman, when you make bad decisions, if you play with fire, you will be burnt. And in this proverb, making the best of opportunities, if I decide... Not to learn from the opportunities. I will continually get burnt by the lessons God is trying to teach me. I will constantly burn my hand on the stove over and over, and I'll go back, and it'll burn me again and again and again. God always wants to turn my lessons into wisdom. Always. Number three, question, does anger have my heart? Does anger have my heart? Verse 7. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness. So it causes action for them. We talked about this. And a bribe corrupts the heart. There it is again. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning. Why? Because of fulfillment. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Verse 9. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry. For anger lodges in the hearts of fools. It says in Proverbs 22, 24, make no friendship with a man given to anger. Stay away from angry men. Stay away from angry friends. Why? Because they'll influence you. And when anger, and and we're, I mean, as I think not all, but I would say most of us struggle with anger in some category. We're either angry at God, we're angry at myself, we're angry at our spouse, you're angry at politics, right? Your anger is positioned towards something or someone. And when anger has your heart, nothing else can. All of us would maybe know from experience when I'm angry, It is all-consuming that it drives my decision-making. I don't know about you guys, but when I get angry, I go into this weird trance that I don't remember what I said. I don't remember how I acted. I don't remember how I respond. My wife will say, you said this, and I will say, I didn't say that. I was what? Angry. Anger is the emotion that rules my heart, and when it has my heart, and sometimes it's not even for a long time, it might just be for a day, it might just be for an hour, it might just be when that guy cuts me off on the highway, in the left lane, driving 10 under, that's what I'm angry about. So there are certain things that bring anger out of our heart, and what does the Apostle Paul say with your anger? We don't manage it, can't, we? put anger away, and I don't let the sun go down on my anger. That I let today's problems be today. And the longer that anger rules my heart towards someone or something, the more I become a fool, Solomon says. The more I look like a fool. Someone who looks like a fool and is angry about something is the guy in his marriage who brings something up that happened to years ago. He is still angry about something that no one else knew was an issue. His wife barely remembers it. You can't remember the details. We hang on to things. And when anger has your heart, nothing else can. It is all consuming. Put away anger. Put it away and don't let the sun go down because the longer the sun goes down on your anger, the more it just, I mean, you we make decisions based off of it. Sometimes I gotta deal with God. I gotta say, God, I'm I'm angry with you about this. And I gotta talk about it. I don't know how you deal with your anger. A lot of us we don't, we don't deal with it at all. We don't talk to anyone about it. We don't wanna address it. We don't want to think about it. We're angry about something, but you have to do the due diligence. I have to do it in my life. How am I going to deal with this? It's not suppressing it. It's not acting like it's not a thing. It's not lying to myself. It's being honest and addressing this issue of anger that I have. Solomon says, When anger gets into your heart, we now become a fool. A wise man knows what's going on in his heart and deals with it. It's not that you never get angry. It's not that you never have the emotion of anger. We're going to talk about that. I'm super excited about for our next series in January. But it's not when anger control, it's not that you never experience anger. I think all of us would know. It says in uh, in the Gospels, Jesus one time in Mark 3 experienced anger towards someone and also grief. Two emotions in his heart. Anger, when it consumes me, it runs my entire life. Number four, am I embracing the present? And I broke this up. I'm going to read verse 10, and then we'll talk, and I'll jump to 13. Say not, why are the former days better than these? Uh Uh-oh. For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. I think that... How many of you, don't raise your hand, because we're not going to get into this, but how many of you have said, man, I just miss the good old days. I just miss the good old days. Man, the good old days. We actually had a good candidate. We actually had a good uh, this. I actually used to enjoy my family on this level. I used to enjoy what I did, or when I didn't get this job, or the good old, I just miss the good old days, Solomon says, when I say that, uh, it is not from wisdom that comes. And a lot of times, the only reason it's the good old days is not because they actually were that good. Some of you guys are like, you don't know what it was like before phone. It was good. It was good. It is not that times have gotten worse, and I'm not going to get into a lot of statistics and history and debate, but what I will say is this, my assumption that a wise person can embrace the present and understand that the old days were better is because I was younger and more optimistic. I was able to see the potential of something. And the older we get, the more we just become a little bit more crusty. I want to use the word. I don't know what that means. But we become a little bit more just... We're you complacent. Yeah, we're, we're frustrated. You know, we're, we're all upset about everything. And, and you know, you, you, you watch that. You're just, everything caught. And you say, man, the good old days. I wish my kids could grow up in the good old days. All these things. Solomon says, it is not from wisdom. Why? Because you are unable to embrace the present. You can't see what God is doing in front of you. All you do is whine and moan. All you do is just see how bad things are. The glass is always half empty. It was a popular song that came out, and uh, it just totally went wild, went wild. Uh, It was from 21 Pilots. You guys have no idea who 21 Pilots is, but uh, the millennials do, and it was was great. So this is the song they wrote. It's called Stressed Out. Here was the lyrics. (laughs) He said, I care what you think when mama sang us to sleep, but now we're stressed out. Wish we could turn back time to the good old days, When our mamas sang us to sleep, but now we're stressed out, we used to play pretend and give each other different nicknames. We would build rocket ships and watch them fly far away. Used to dream of outer space, but now they're laughing in our face saying, wake up, you need to make money. The good old days. When you were a kid and you could play pretend, and you could do whatever. Why is it not the good old days? Because in chapter 1, verse 4, a generation goes and a generation comes. All is vanity. All is vanity. Solomon says, embrace the present. A wise man says, this is where God has me. Can't go back to horses and and riding buggies, and shooting guns, and westerns, and you watch the movies, and you wish you grew up in that time, can't go back to this, God, you have me here. What do you want to do with my life? Because I don't want to get to the end and say, I just wished it all away. Chapter 7, verse 13. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? Um, so the reason I pulled this up, Chapter 1, verse 15, we talked about how what is crooked cannot be made straight. And I made the statement, God makes straight lines with what? Crooked sticks. That he takes messed up lives and he makes them straight when you come to Christ, no matter what you look like. In chapter 7, verse 13, it says, consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? When God makes something crooked, guess how it becomes straight? It doesn't. He bends, but he doesn't break. Consider the work of God. When God makes something crooked versus when something is crooked on its own, it's Lamentations three nine. He has made my paths crooked. So why am I bringing up these three and talking about what is crooked cannot be made straight? If I embrace the present, consider God's work in your life. If he has caused your path to be a little bit edgy, Bad decision after bad decision, a wise person can see and consider this was God's work. He allowed this to happen, and I'm going to learn from that to be effective in the present. To be effective. That embracing my day enables me to be used by God. Because the opposite is these two things. When we don't embrace the tough season or the crookedness that we're in, it paralyzes me, and I'm really good at throwing a pity party for me. No one's got it as bad as I did. No one, if they had this situation, and, and we compare and we go on and on, embracing the day and embracing the present is what Solomon is trying to teach. He, and, and sometimes, he, I mean, the book gets pretty repetitive. If you read through it, it just gets repetitive. But how many times dads have you had to repeat yourself to your son? Oh, if you got a dollar for every time. I mean, you'd be a millionaire, right? If you had a, a, a you didn't even a dollar, you're like a nickel, like if you cuz you have to repeat yourself sometimes. Cuz we are unable sometimes to hear. And he's bringing this up, embracing my day enables me to be used by God. Am I embracing the present? Number five, do I want to die early? Sweet. Some of you guys are like, huh? Verse 16, in my vain life, I have seen everything. That's a lot. He probably hasn't, but I know how the older you get, you're kind of like, I've seen it all. Uh, he says, I've seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. And there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is not good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand, for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. So here's what he is doing now, which is so cool. He's talking to, to us, if, if you're a church folk or you're overly righteous or um, the way that a lot of times you know you're overly righteous, or at least I do, is I'm growingly frustrated by people who are far from God that they just don't get it. I get upset by the things they don't understand, that, they're, that they don't act like a Christian, they don't, they don't do things Christians do. I get growingly frustrated. That's how I know I'm becoming overly righteous. He is making this statement. Being overly righteous is as good as being dead. He is saying that someone who sees themselves as being better than, that they are, you know, the almighty, that they are, you know, they they have it all together, they have no mistakes, they have no lessons to learn, they only have advice to give, that person, he said, why should you destroy yourself or die before your time? Because a person who is too overly righteous, when I am overly righteous, how many friends I got? Zero. How many people want to talk to me? Zero. It is as if you are dying. And then he says, the fool in his wickedness prolongs his life, fearing God, fearing God, he says it right at the end, will save your soul from wickedness and being too religious. It is my good deeds are as filthy rags, that's in Philippians 3, it's it's as rubbish to God, that me being overly righteous or seeing myself as being better than everyone else, having everything together, Solomon is saying, why should you die before your time? Because there's nothing worse than someone who is older and has the opportunity to invest what they have learned into someone else, but they can't. Because they know everything. Someone young is not able to, to even listen to them because you're just frustrated about how dumb they are. They don't learn. I've tried telling them. I've tried doing this. You, you, just, there's, you grow overly righteous. Solomon says, why should you die before your time? He's not talking about a physical death here. He's talking about the value of a life. Overly righteous. Righteous. And then his last question, I believe, or what we'll talk about today, is why do I take everything to heart? Uh, in your handout, there's a, there's a misspell. It's chapter 7, 21 to 22. It says this, do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Here it is again, your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. We talked about this in chapter 4. If you remember verse 13, better is a poor man who's able to take advice. And he brings it up again. I believe he says it again because it's a lesson that he felt needed to be repeated. He says, be careful when you take criticism and getting mad at someone and taking it to heart. Because how often do I run my mouth and talk about someone else? Don't take everything to heart, even when your ears are burning and you catch them. Don't take it to heart. And why do we take it to heart? I, the reason I wanted to talk about it again tonight is because he brings it up twice and I feel like it's necessary. We take it to heart because the thing that was said to us is no longer just an attack on what I have done or the decision I made, but what? Who I am. When someone says something to me or about me, I have a couple opportunities, but what do we normally do? We get mad, angry, right? We defend. We get mad again. We're silent. We don't say anything for weeks. And then we think about it. We contemplate. Oh, they were probably right. Oh, I've done that too. Oh, hey, hopefully that's the cycle it it goes on. The question is, why do I take everything to heart? Bitterness, when someone does something to me, you've heard the phrase maybe a thousand times, it's like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. It's all consuming to me. When I see them either at church or I see them in the family, you know, I see them at Thanksgiving. something comes up and I remember what they said and they have no idea. Solomon says, don't take everything to heart. Don't be, so what? Sensitive. And it's not that I can't take it and turn the critic into a coach, and what they say probably has some truth to it, but Solomon repeats himself because he pulls it back to us and says, hey, how many times have I ran my mouth? How many times have I sat there and said this to that person, said this to that person? So instead of judging them for what they've said and how wrong they are and how false the, the truth was, I need to look at myself and say, hey, I've done that too. Maybe trying to have the hide, a thick hide, or like an elephant, and having a thick skin and having a sensitive heart is what he's getting at. But I I don't don't know how that happens. I don't think it's something that you just wake up one day and you're able to take criticism. I I feel like it's probably a lesson that's learned. I feel like that's where you're going to get some time at your tables to talk about. But he says, don't take everything to heart, because when you take everything to heart... You can never, never hear anything. And it says in chapter 7, you are or chapter 7, verse 7, hearing the rebuke of the wise. If we can't hear rebuke, we can't hear anything. I'm going to give you guys 15 minutes at your tables for three questions, and I'm going to give you a two-minute warning, and we'll come back together. All right. uh, I want to... Close this out tonight and uh, kind of be somewhat consistent uh, with your time and with, uh, for those of you that want to make it to watch tonight, I'm sure all of us will be watching, or at least most of us, uh, the debate. Before we get there, I want to end real quick, um, I'm going to read, I was going back and forth, but I think it's necessary, I'm going to read 1 Kings 11, 3 and 4, and then I'm going to jump back to Ecclesiastes. Um, So you can either just listen, you can follow along if you want, 1 Kings 11, 3 and 4, and then I'm going to jump back to Ecclesiastes 7. Solomon clung to these, his wives, in love. He had 700 wives who were princes and 300 concubines, and his wives turned his heart. For when Solomon was old... His wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father, David. Ecclesiastes seven twenty five. I turned my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the schemes of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. And I find something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is a snare and nets, and whose hands are fetters, and he who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the schemes of things, which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousands I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. Solomon is referring to his addiction to sex and his addiction to sexual drive and having 700 wives and 300 concubines. If you were here this past Sunday, we talked about that and his, uh, rela- his sexual relationships and how these women and the pursuit of them, let his heart astray, and really his soul. And he says the phrase, more bitter than death. I don't know about you, but that, I mean, if I tell someone this is worse than dying, he puts it on the same scale as being too overly righteous. And he says after woman, after woman, he he's probably had, had more sex than, than you have thought of watching pornography right, his addiction to sex was absolutely insane. The, the amount of comparison is, it's not even comparable, his, his sexual drive that he had. He said, night after night, woman after woman, I, I didn't hold anything back, we saw in chapter two. He said, but one man among a thousands I found. What is he talking about? He is referring to hit what satisfied his soul. And we don't have The lens to look in and to ask Solomon, who was that man that had your back or that you found or that you were able to, as it said with David and Jonathan, his soul was knit together with. Who was that, Solomon? All I know for us is who satisfies our soul. But rather than when Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your soul, that what we are searching for, if Ecclesiastes is teaching anything in chapters 1 to 7, if he is saying anything, he is saying you can search to find God and miss God if you do not look in the right places. If we look for marriage, if we look for sex, if we look for Fame, if we look for money, if we look for even having a, a good reputation or, or having good any you fill in the blank. Solomon says, Your soul will not be satisfied. And hopefully you have made a decision to follow Christ, and you would say, My soul is satisfied in him. And when Jesus talked to some of his disciples and they said, Who do people say that I am? Man, you're a good guy. Good philosopher, you're John the Baptist, you do some good stuff. We we love what you do. And he says, no, 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 no. Who do you say that I am? And obviously, he's referring to acknowledging Jesus as the Messiah. But I believe often when my soul starts to drift and my soul starts to what? Wander. I often have to pull back and look and put my my chips in the right place to find soul-satisfying relationship with Christ, that I would fear God, that I wouldn't fear man, that I wouldn't fear others, but I would fear God. And whatever He's asking me to do, whatever He's asking me to start, whatever He's asking me to stop, is not too difficult for Him to ask that because He has never... Asked me to do something that he has not already done himself. Let me pray. God, we, we thank you for what you've done for us on the cross. And we thank you for Solomon and the instruction and the example that we get to learn from. God, out of all oh, six or maybe at the end seven, talking about the soul and the heart, I pray that everyone in here tonight would have one one question or one thing or one verse or something from your word that would just, would take root. And God, help us to apply it. God, that we would not be the type of people or men that hear what you have to say and forget it by the door. But God, would your word take root in our heart and would you help us to be men who fear you? God, would you help us to lead in our marriages fearing you. Would you help us to lead in our families, fearing you? And God, would you help us to lead in our workplaces, wherever you have called us, to fear you? God, we acknowledge that we have no king but Jesus, and you are the one who satisfies, and you are the one who directs, and God, would we continually submit our lives to you? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.